The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning, Parkwood. It's great to see you. I missed you last week. I've been looking forward to getting back. I know you have uh, many wonderful Bible preachers and teachers here, and you were in good hands, but I uh, just want you to know I'm, I'm delighted to, uh, to see you. Dr. Owens, let me extend my gratefulness to you. I've not had the privilege of meeting you personally, uh, but um, your legacy here is uh, uh, not only well-known, but as these others have testified, um, it has been effectual. And I have the opportunity to be in a lot of churches, and you don't have to be in a church very long uh, to get a feel for their foundation, their roots, their spiritual maturity. And uh, this is a congregation of, I've only been here just a few weeks now, uh, and I can tell of uh, just God's grace here. And so I'm grateful for your leadership and uh, what you have done here. Grateful to have you here today. I'm a little bit intimidated to be preaching. Uh, it feels like um, trying to, to explain the flood to Noah. Uh, and I don't, don't feel very worthy to be able to, uh, to do that. Second Peter chapter 1 is where we are. I want to ask you to take your Bible, open it to that place. Uh, if you're sitting close to someone who doesn't have a Bible, you might uh, help them to find one of those in the rack in front of you or invite them to look on with you. Uh, but uh, let's study the Word of the Lord together. Second Peter chapter 1, I want to begin reading in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, I want you to, to count the number of times in these first few verses that Peter says, I'm, I'm going to remind you. There's one of them right there. Verse 13, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Notice Peter makes two references in verses 13 and 14 to his impending departure. He's using images of the body as a tent or a piece of clothing that you, you, you take off at some point. We don't know whether it was that breakfast conversation recorded at the end of John's gospel or some other revelation, but Peter, Peter believed, and he was right, that his days were numbered. Just ask yourself a question. I'm sure you've heard it before. If I knew I was going to die tonight, how would I spend today? And that kind of points you to your priorities, the things that are important to you. Listen to this brother under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit say, I don't have long left. I'm going to spend it reminding you about some things. Verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. 
Verse 16, for, that word connects it to what's been said. We can't separate these verses. For, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Repetition can be awkward, can it? Encounter it all the time in life, whether it's calling your cable company and getting a menu of options on what buttons to press, depending upon who you want to talk to, which most of the time you never get to talk to them. Or... or Telling your kids, I've told you this a hundred times. Or being a kid, hearing your parents say, you know, I've told you this a hundred times. <laughs> or singing a song that has a chorus that repeats over and over and over again. Sometimes awkwardness can be can be uncomfortable. Sometimes it can be frustrating, but every single one of us know, every single one of us know that repetition is crucial for our lives, right? Because we know that when we hear things over and over again, we learn them. I hope you, I hope you never ever grow weary of singing choruses to songs that repeat themselves. Whether it's an old hymn that has a chorus that you sing at the end of every verse or, or a newer song that repeats its chorus a number of times. Listen, if it's gospel truth, don't ever grow weary of it. The Apostle Peter comes to this passage of Scripture with a great emphasis on reminding. It's us if you get to the end of verse 15 that we read just a moment ago and, and hear Peter say, what part of remembering don't you get? Now, if that's the case in this, this passage of Scripture, it's incredibly important for, for us to ask the question, what is it that he's wanting us to remember? And I want to show you that by showing you a relationship between the two paragraphs that I read just a moment ago. The first one in verse 12, look, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. In the language of the New Testament, the word is just things. I, I want to remind you of these things. Well, what things is he talking about? Well, if you back up into, you know, into verse 10, in the middle of it there, he says, for if you practice these qualities in my English text, but once again, things in the language of the New Testament, then you practice these qualities, you will never fall. If you back up a little bit farther from there into verse eight, for if these qualities or these things are yours and are increasing, then they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. What things is he talking about? Well, he's talking about what we've studied in verses three through 11 
11 up to this point. He's, he's talking about the promise in verse 3 that God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All bets are off. All excuses are off the table. Every single one of you that know Jesus have everything that you need to grow in true life and godliness. He tells us that, but he also tells us, even though God has sovereignly done that, we have a responsibility, don't we? We talked about this there in verse five. For this reason, make every effort, exert physical and moral effort to do what? To add to your faith other qualities of godliness. And he lists some of them in verses five, six, and seven. And he reminds us, beloved, listen to me. He reminds us that the gospel, the gospel breeds faith in our life that is never intended to remain stagnant. We, our, our faith that we receive when we trust in Christ shouldn't look the same today. It should grow and be mature and be more like Jesus. And then, and then Peter tells us that this is the very thing that's gonna give you certainty, assurance of your salvation. This is the thing that will not only make you effective and fruitful in your Christian life, it will plant your feet on solid ground so that you know that you know that you are a child of God. If you're growing and increasing in these things, you know that you belong to our Lord. And he says that is what will give you a sure foundation as you travel all the way to your entrance into the eternal kingdom. That's just a summary of what he's been talking about in verses three through 11. So when he says, I wanna remind you about these things, he's, he's talking about this reality that the gospel compels us to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ so that our faith is maturing, it is overflowing, it is being effective and fruitful, impacting people around us, impacting things around us. It is the lens through which we approach all of life. And that gives us a firm foundation, a solid assurance. Peter says, I'm reminding you about those things. But there's a second part. Look at the beginning of verse 16. This is the beginning of the second paragraph I read a moment ago. Remember, I said it was connected for because, he says in verse 16, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what Peter does is he, 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 he makes clear at this point, he, there, there's already been suggestions of it, but he makes clear that one of the issues that, that he is set on reminding the people about is the certainty of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The word coming is used in verse 16. Some have said, well, it's talking about when Jesus came the first time. This particular word is the word uh, perusia. When we, uh, you've heard the word perusia. It's a word that's used 18 times in the New Testament. And every single time it refers to the second coming of our Lord and Savior. Let me tell you why Peter's introducing this idea. It's because this is what the false teachers were saying. They were saying there is no second coming. Jesus isn't coming back and therefore there isn't going to be any judgment. And consequently, that means you can do whatever you want to do, basically. When we get into chapter two, starting next week, we're going to see the character of these false teachers who were licentious. They were, they were adulterers. They, were, they, 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 they lusted sexually. They, they were greedy for money. They, 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 they wanted gain as well as the attention of, of and, and they were justifying this lifestyle based upon the fact that they said there was no second coming. 
So Peter comes here and he says, look, there's a relationship between these two things. There's a relationship between the second coming of Jesus Christ and you growing in your Christian faith every day, looking more and more like Jesus. Because the false teachers were saying no second coming, then it really doesn't matter how you live. Peter was saying there is a second coming and that compels you to verses three through 11 in chapter one here. It compels you, it compels me to live godly lives. Not because we're trying to earn our salvation. We already have that but because we know the one who has saved us is coming back for us, because we know that the one who died for our sins calls us to holiness and righteousness and godliness, he compels us, this gospel compels us to be growing and maturing in our faith. So you got these two things that are connected together. Paul, Peter says, you can't afford to forget that. And so that's what's going on here. So let me show you. Let me show you in this passage of scripture in 2 Peter chapter one, let me show you the significance of remembering. I'm really already laid it out in a big picture, but I wanna show it to you specifically. The, the significance of us remembering, the, the significance of us being reminded about this gospel truth and the connection between those two things. And then I wanna show you the sources. God's given us a couple of sources a source is to jog our memory so that we don't forget, that we keep remembering. Let me show you the significance, first of all. I've already called your attention to the three times that Peter mentions his ministry of reminding. And in these last days of his life, he says, this is what's important. This is what is going to, to, to determine my attention. But each time he calls attention to what he's going to do and reminding, he, he, he opens a window. He opens a window for us to understand why this is so significant. Why it is so significant that we don't forget this connection. The connection between godly, maturing, progressive faith and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let me show it to you. The first reason is because remembering and being reminded of this sustains our godliness. It sustains our godliness. Notice in verse 12, Paul says, uh, Peter says, therefore I intend always to remind you of these things. And, and then don't miss this. Parkwood, listen to this very carefully. Because this, probably more than anything else, has direct relationship to the people sitting in this room, celebrating a heritage like you get to celebrate, rejoicing in the teaching that you have received from your pastors through the years. A people, a people of strong faith. Listen to this. I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. You see that? Peter's talking to people like us. He, he's talking to people like members of Parkwood Baptist Church. People sitting in this room who, who, who anybody that, that, that knows anything about your heritage and has listened to the teaching that you have received knows that you are a people that are described like this. You know this truth and you're established in what you have. That's an incredible statement. You know what it says? He says, I am writing to a people that know this. And not only that, I'm writing to a people that get this. This is a description of their faith. They're established in the truth. Peter knew what it meant 
to be established in the truth. Interestingly, in Luke chapter 22, we find that account of Jesus telling Peter that he was going to deny. And he says, Peter, Satan is, is asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that you may not fall. And when you turn, he said, listen, you remember what he said? Strengthen your brothers. Guess what? He uses the same word. Jesus used the same word that Peter uses right here. Why? Because Peter knew what it meant. He knew what it meant to, to trip and to fall, but he also knew what it meant to be lifted back up and to have his feet on solid ground. And he knew what it meant to come to this place in his ministry years after Jesus had died, shortly before his own death, and saying, I'm doing I'm doing what Jesus told me to do. I'm strengthening you. He describes them as people who are established in the truth that they have. Why does he do that? For this reason, come in here real close, listen. Just because you know the truth and are established in it doesn't mean you can't forget. This is why we, as a people of faith, need to constantly be reminded about this truth. We need to keep telling one another, hey, Jesus is coming back and, and that says something about the way we live. We ought to encourage one another, stretch one another and strengthen one another with this reality because it sustains our godliness because it's so easy, isn't it, to get in the groove, if you will, to be established in the faith, moving along, coming to church, reading your Bible, doing missions, sharing the gospel, carrying this stuff out, but in the midst of all of that, to lose sight of why you do it and lose sight of the fact that Jesus is coming back. It sustains our godliness. Secondly, it stimulates our passion. Look at verse 13. I think it right, as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Peter uses a word that means to arouse it, 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 it means to stimulate or provoke here. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know, this is not just a given that you come to faith in Christ and then somehow it's just kind of an automatic, it's a cruise control kind of deal that carries you along. All the way down here yesterday, I was, anytime I could, I had that cruise control on to take my foot off the pedal. And, 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 just, and, and, and just go, God, I'm not doing anything other than you know, controlling the steering wheel. And, and sometimes we think, well, that, that's good, the way it is with the Christian life. That we're, we're, we're just kind of in a, in a cruise control mode and God's carrying us along because after all, his divine powers granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So we just cruise on this, through the Christian life. All of us in this room, I, I, I would guess, know what it means. All of us that know Christ know what it means to know the theological truths, to know the, the facts, to have memorized some of the verses, but to have lost our passion for this gospel have lost the desire that we have to pursue it, the desire that we have to let it impact everything that we do, to let it be the lens through which we look at all of life, everything, to know, want to know more and more about it. Peter is using language here in which he's saying, I'm gonna remind you, I'm gonna keep talking about this and retelling this because I wanna stimulate your passion for the gospel. 
Do you think about the gospel when you got up this morning? Is it something you want to know more of or is it something you grow weary of hearing over and over again? Your pastor's coming here regardless of what text, what sermon, because this book is about the gospel constantly are reminding you about the gospel. You're singing songs and you're blessed, listen to me, you're blessed to have worship leaders who choose songs that are gospel songs. They have gospel truth in them and you sing them. You sing those truths and you, you go over those choruses and you repeat those words. Do they grip you? Do they move you? Do they motivate you? Do they inspire you to want to be more godly, to build upon your faith? Peter says, that's not automatic. I know personally what it means to be at a place, to be at a place where you know the facts, you've been taught all the truth, maybe established in it, but to have, to have lost for a season, to have lost for a period of time my excitement about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lost my motivation, my desire, my passion for wanting to build on my faith and grow that. Peter says it's not automatic. So remembering sustains our godliness. It stimulates our passion and then it strengthens our readiness. Look at verse 15. I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, Peter adds a little twist to this idea of remembering here. He uses a, a word that is not used uh, uh, very much in the, the, the New Testament, but it, it is a word that didn't mean to just hear something for reminder, but it means to, to hold on to something, to, 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 to let it settle in and to, to have it uh, at your disposal. So Peter comes to this place right here and he says, I I want to strengthen your readiness to fight false teaching. I want to strengthen your readiness to respond to every situation. I want you to love this gospel and I want you to be so familiar with this connection between the second coming and, and the way you live your daily life that at every moment you stand ready to be able to respond and act and, 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 and do and perform, if you will, in a, in a gospel way. It strengthens our readiness with this gospel truth. Peter says, this is why. This is why I want to remind you. It's significant. This is a huge issue, Parkwood. We are a people that never grow weary of being reminded about gospel truth and specifically never grow weary about being reminded that Jesus is coming and because he's coming, it ought to say something about the way we live our lives. So that's the significance. Let me show you the two sources in verses 16 through 21. Two sources that Peter identifies here for his readers that they have so that their memories are jogged. Their memories are jogged to this, 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 this relationship between the second coming and the way that they live their daily lives. The first source is the apostolic witness and the second one is the prophetic word. So those are the two we'll look at. Let's talk about the apostolic witness. In verses 16 through 18, the backdrop of these verses is the transfiguration of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that took place on a mountain, and the audience was Peter, James, and John. Remember, he took three disciples with him up there. It is recorded in all three synoptic gospels, in Matthew chapter 17, in Mark chapter 9, and Luke chapter 9. All three of these gospel writers 
right on this account. And this is what Peter is talking about here. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you what he's doing big picture. And then I want us to lean into the transfiguration for a moment. Peter is, is, is coming to this place right here and saying to his readers, he is saying, you have, you have something to remind you about the second coming and how you ought to live and the relationship between those two. And that is the fact that, that I saw the second coming. Now, I want you to just hold on to that for a second, all right? He's trying to make the point that he's got something on his resume that the false teachers didn't have. They were following cleverly devised myths that are mentioned there in verse 16 in the teaching that they did. Peter says, I don't have to do that. I haven't come talking to you about the second coming by dreaming stuff up and coming up with stuff on my own and twisting things around. He's saying, I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. You see it there in the end of verse 16. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Then in verses 17 and 18, he says, we heard the voice from heaven. I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears because we were with him on the holy mountain. He is giving a witness to the fact that he was an eyewitness to this event. Now let's think about that. Was he really an eyewitness to the second coming? You say, wait a second, Jim, that hasn't happened yet. What's Peter talking about? Well, let me show you. We won't look at all three of the accounts because they're all three, you know, talking about the same thing. But let me show you one of them. Hold hold your place here and go back to Matthew's gospel. Let's just take that one as an example. Go back to Matthew chapter 17. You'll find the account of the transfiguration in verses 1 through 8. Matthew chapter 17. Now, as you arrive at that place, let let me just admit to you that I really don't want to particularly show you Matthew 17, but I want to show you what led up to it. Look at Matthew chapter 16 and the last verse, verse 28. Here's what Jesus said. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man, and don't miss this word, coming in his kingdom. Perusia. Reference to the second coming. Think about what Jesus is saying. He's got his disciples. There's a whole crowd of other people around. And Jesus makes this announcement. There are some standing right here that are not going to see death until they see the second coming. Now, you say here we are 2,000 years later and Jesus hasn't come back. Was he wrong? Did he miss it? Did he make a prediction that hasn't come true Well, beloved, listen to me. I would suggest to you, if that's the case, then there's nothing in this Bible we can believe. But I also want to show you that he was right. It did happen. And it happened, listen to me very carefully, by way of a preview, an advanced screening, if you will, of his second coming. And that advanced screening was the transfiguration. Chapter 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain themselves. And he was transfigured before them. He was was changed in form. And his face shone like the sun. His glory is being manifested. His clothes became white as light. 
And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said, Jesus, uh, said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a, a voice, another voice kind of just canceled his out. A bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You ever wondered why that happened? Well, Jesus told them why it happened. Because he wanted to give them a picture of the reality that he was coming again. Isn't it interesting here in 2 Peter chapter 1 of all the incidents, all the experiences that Peter could have chosen, he chose the transfiguration. He was there to see the resurrected Lord. You remember he ran into the empty tomb. Surely he wants to talk about an eyewitness account, he'd talk about that. What about standing on that mountain in Galilee when Jesus just ascends up into the clouds? What an incredible experience. He could have told him about that, but he didn't. He told him about the transfiguration. Why? Because the transfiguration was a preview of what's to come. Jesus was manifested in his glory majesty, which is what's going to characterize the second coming when he comes, not as a suffering servant like he came the first time, but as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Peter writes to his people and says, he gave me a preview of it. Jesus let me see. He wanted us to be sure. And he wanted me to pass this on to you. He told me to strengthen you in your faith and establish you in your faith. In knowing this reality, I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. I was there on the mountain with him. Peter says, you have that witness as a testimony that he's coming back. And the fact that he's coming back needs to compel you to grow in your Christian life and look more and more like him so that when he comes back, you are on solid footing in your entrance into the eternal kingdom, which he just talked about in, in the previous paragraph. We have the apostolic witness, but not only that, we've got the prophetic word. We've got the prophetic word beginning in verse 19. Peter mentions it three times. He calls it the prophetic word in verse 19. And then verse 20, he refers to it as the prophecy of scripture. And then in verse 21, simply prophecy. What's he talking about? He is talking about the written record of the prophecy of the Old, uh, Old Testament prophets who gave witness to this, to the coming of the Messiah and his reign in his eternal kingdom. And I want you to notice what Peter says about that. First of all, he says it's, it's even more dependable than our personal experience. Look at your Bible. Look at verse 19. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, it says. Made more sure in some, in some translations. What, what does Peter just say? Listen, think about this. He says, I, I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. I was on the mountain. And then he turns around and says, but we've got another reminder, another source 
of reminder that is even more sure than our personal experience. And that, that is the prophecy of the Old Testament men of God. Beloved, listen to this. Don't miss it. This is huge for our lives today. You believe that? Do you believe that you've got something that is actually more trustworthy than what you have personally experienced? Do you realize how many people live their lives based on the authority of their personal experience? You've shared the gospel with people who have said, well, this is what I think, or this is, this is how I think it plays out. This is my experience. And they're basing everything they believe, everything they do on their own personal experience. But you and I understand that in human flesh, even those of us who are Christians, as long as we're in this body, we are susceptible to misinterpreting our personal experiences. You understand the book of Revelation says that Satan can create experiences. He can create circumstances that you and I experience. And this is why we have a source of reminder that is even more sure than our personal experience, and that is the Holy Scriptures. And now the reason for this that Peter gives is found in verses 20 and 21, and that is the reason we have this more sure source of reminder is because of its divine source of where it came from. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, own unraveling. In, in, in other words, no man just figured this out. No man just, just determined this is, this is what needs to be said and this is what needs to be written in the Bible. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but by men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, just like a sailboat is carried along by the wind. God moved some men to write down his words and they wrote it down perfectly without any error. And God did all of that without compromising their unique personalities. This is the, the nature of the inspired scriptures that we have. This is from God. He spoke it. He used human beings. He used men like us to do that. And he carried them along by his Holy Spirit. And, 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 and Peter says, this is why we trust what scripture says more than our own experience. So what do we do with that? Well, the response is mentioned there in verse 19. I didn't read it just a moment ago, but he says, look, you do well to pay attention to it. Just like a lamp shining in a dark place, like a torch you would walk into a dirty room with so you could see the dirt and know how to clean it. Like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. In the Greek mindset Star was representative of royalty. The Old Testament speaks of, of, of the Messiah that was to come as a star. The New Testament in the book of Revelation calls Jesus, that Messiah, the morning star. What's Peter talking about? He's talking about the day that we see Jesus, that he comes again and we be like him. He rises in our hearts because we will see him as he is. He's talking about the second coming but even more than that, he's saying because of that second coming, 
you would do well to be obeying and conforming your life to this holy scripture. There's the apostolic witness. There is the prophetic word. Now let's do the math as we close. Where do we find both of those today? We find them on the pages of the 66 books that make up this book that you're holding in your hand called the Bible. The Old Testament scriptures give us the law, the revelation of God, and the prophetic testimony to that law as they saw the need for a righteous judge and savior and deliverer and prophesied about the Messiah. In the New Testament, we have the life, ministry, and teaching of Jesus repeated four times in the Gospels, the first four books. And then we have the apostolic witness in the letters to the life, ministry, and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has sovereignly taken both of these sources, the the, the source of the apostolic testimony and the source of the prophetic word and put them together, written them down so that we wouldn't miss it. And so brothers and sisters, I want to remind you about what you already know. You say, we know this, Jim. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. God has given us this as a reminder. A reminder that he has sent Jesus to be our savior. He has lived a life we couldn't live. He's died a death that we should have died. He's risen from the dead and returned to heaven. And one day he's coming back to get us. One day he's coming back to get us. And I want to challenge you, encourage you. Tomorrow morning when you get up, get up and glance toward the eastern sky and look for him. And if you don't see him, open your Bible and ask God, what do you want to do in my life? What does this say about how my life needs to be conformed? Because I know one day he's coming. One day he's coming and I'm going to get ready. I'm going to be ready. I, I, I want it just to be a short jump between me and looking fully like Jesus when he comes. Because I've grown in righteousness and I've grown in godliness. Beloved, I, I want to encourage you to make that your pattern every day. Every day you look for his coming. Every day you say, it could be today. It could be today. And every day that you don't see him, you take your Bible and you ask the question, how does my life need to be conformed to this, to this day? And let him change you from one degree of glory to another as you await for your Savior. Let's pray together. God, thanks for the hope. Thanks for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the assurance that we know he's coming back for us. Give us grace, Lord. Give me grace to look for him every day, to anticipate his coming every day. And God, grant me grace. And I pray this for my brothers and sisters here at Parkwood. Grant us grace every day to add to our faith the character of Christ, to build on it, to never let it be stagnant. God, give us grace for this. We pray today for friends and relatives that may be sitting beside us and come to this place with us. We pray for other guests that have just found their way to this worship service. We pray for those who have never trusted Christ, never become, have never had this hope that one day Jesus is coming back. Lord, give them that today. I pray you would save unbelievers today.
men, women, boys, and girls who only need to repent of their sins, to change their mind about sin and change their mind about Jesus and trust him, trust you to do for them what you can't do for you, they can't do for themselves. God, let right now be their spiritual birthday. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.